Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Our, our seminar this morning is about protecting nitrogen and phosphorus inputs on farms. Um, as Mark said, we're, we're, we'll, we'll split that in, in two parts. Um, first of all, as a, as a, by way of overview, um, what we want to discuss is how do we measure the efficiency of the nutrients used. So if we can measure, we can manage better. So that's a very important tool uh, to measure. Uh, and then I will discuss the factors affecting recovery of nutrients applied to soils, grass and crops. So basically the factors on your farm that, that uh, affect uh, overall nutrient recovery by the crops and, and, and plants. Um, and then also the efficiency at which that nutrient and the return on investment, but not forgetting then that there's left, less left uh, potentially to be lost to the environment. Uh, Mark will then pick up the mantle and, and uh, uh, discuss managing nutrient inputs on farms for achieving agronomic and environmental targets. And we'll leave you hopefully with some take home messages. So first of all, uh, how do we measure uh, nutrients and the nutrient efficiency on farms. So um, how can we minimize the losses of these nutrients um, uh, by, by, by measuring uh, what, what we're doing? So at the farm gate level, we have nutrient inputs or inflows, such as nitrogen fertilizer or phosphate fertilizer, uh, manures, animal feeds, uh, uh, imports, etc. Uh, coming into the farm and then leaving the farm we have the products that we produce so the milk the meat the crops the grain uh, we have potentially animals um, or we have fodder and forage leaving uh, the, the farm and also on some farms they do export um, um, nutrients such as organic manure etc however in terms of what's in the farmer's control uh, within his or her farm um, we have the inputs and the outputs and where they're uh, assigned or where they're targeted towards uh, within the farm. First and foremost, you'll see in the diagram there, we have the different soil test indices. So different fields have different nutrient requirements. And Mark will discuss that in more detail. Um, but also we have other factors there, such as soil type, such as sward type or crop type, uh, such as stocking rate that also uh, need, need to be accounted for and are accounted for in, the, in, a, in a fertilizer plan, and, and they underpin uh, the levels of nutrient efficiency that can be achieved. So if nutrient inputs are greater than outputs, that may be intentional in terms of soil nutrient storage or building soil fertility. However, uh, if they're um, much bigger than the, than the offtakes or the outputs, and it's not intentional, there's uh, more potential there for nutrients to be lost from the system. And that is very soil spike type uh, specific overall. So what levels of nutrient use efficiency are there currently at farm level? The Chagas National Farm Survey Sustainability Report, which for 2018, which was uh, launched this week, uh, shows that on the nitrogen side, if we think about nitrogen use efficiency, um, uh, tillage crops or tillage farms have uh, by far the highest levels of nutrient use efficiency. And then the, the grassland systems which are grazed where um, some of the nutrients uh, can't be managed because they're excreted onto the paddock or onto the field uh, have lower levels of nitrogen use efficiency. 
And similarly for phosphorus there, you can see um, all farms are, are reaching a, a relatively high level of nutrient use efficiency. And this doesn't account for buildup of nutrients. So the retention of nutrients such as phosphorus in the soil for soil fertility buildup. And you can see there, all farms are reaching uh, approximately at least 50% uh, nutrient use efficiency. Again, um, I must put a caution around that, not accounting for buildup where uh, you're not hoping to recover that nutrient, but rather build the soil fertility. So if we, if we think then, uh, what can farmers do? What can farm advisories help with in terms of uh, accounting for differences within farms, one area there is soils. The soil type on the farm has a big role to play here in terms of the levels of efficiency and then the type of management of nutrients that should um, be, be taken throughout the season. And one soil certainly does not fit all in this respect. If we think about the soil uh, information system, the Irish soil information system, there's a lot of information there uh, about the different soils within your area, uh, within your region. And knowledge of these parameters and, and these soils can help um, uh, improve the management on farms. And the advisory service uh, has this information and is happy to discuss this information um, uh, with you as a, as a client. However, when we look at this, this there's, there's many soils in Ireland. Um, there's over a, a hundred different uh, uh, variants of, of, of soil type, while they can be categorized in larger groups uh, together. Uh, we've come up with the concept of your light soils, which are freely drained, uh, more brown earth type soils, your heavier soils, which are more poorly drained and more glay soils, and then peat soils. And this concept works quite well at farm level in terms of nutrient management. So here I'm starting off with the light soil. It's freely drained. And what are the things that we need to, to think about in terms of, of uh, nutrient efficiency, nutrient management on these soils? These soils, their nutrient retention depends on their texture. So more sandy textured won't hold as many nutrients as more loamy textured soils. However, in terms of losses, they have lower potential there at the top for uh, uh, greenhouse gas losses because they're not saturated for, for, for very long throughout the, the year. They have uh, low nutrient runoff potential because the water can, can drain through them. However, because of that drainage, they have higher potential for nitrogen leaching when the soils are draining. So at the shoulders of the year, in the early part of the year and late uh, in, the, in the autumn and into the winter. So those are the times when we must be uh, more careful in terms of applying nutrients to these type of soils. If we think about the heavy soils, a very different scenario. These have high potential there uh, for nutrient retention, uh, especially in their clay-rich layer, that layer that's impeding the water from moving through. So if we can get the nutrients down to that layer, uh, it can store a lot of nutrients. However, if you're thinking about these soils from an agronomic standpoint, it takes longer to build up the soil test levels in these soils. In terms of nutrient losses, there is potential there for high greenhouse gas losses, especially in the wet spring, because these soils are saturated or waterlogged. And if we apply nutrients to them, they potentially, um, especially nitrogen, it can potentially be, um, be uh, converted into uh, a greenhouse gas nitrous oxide, 
they also have potential or higher potential there for PLOS in overland flow because as they're not draining freely, the water tends to move off the surface. However, in terms of leaching, they have much lower potential than the light soil. And then finally, the peat soil, which is a very different type of, of, of soil overall. It has very low nutrient retention. And the reason that it has low nutrient retention is it has low or, or, or little mineral matter. And, and this is the matter that those nutrients, the phosphorus or the potassium or whatever nutrient you want, binds to in the soil and it holds it there waiting for the, the crop to extract it again. So these soils, these, these peat soils, they're full of organic matter. They don't hold on to the nutrients the same as mineral soils. And hence, we need to think about these differently in terms of how we supply nutrients for crop production or grass production over the season. And it should be a little and often approach here. So apply what you need for the next period and then apply a little bit more as you move through the season. These have high potential for greenhouse gas loss because they're, they're usually wet at times of the year and they have loads of carbon for the biology to, 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 um, to conduct that conversion. And they have potential there for P-loss because they don't hold on to it uh, due to the lack of mineral matter. So overall, what is the picture of soil fertility um, in the country? And these are the, the, the Department of Agriculture statistics uh, for the national picture. Um, the national soil fertility level in 2018, you can see there in terms of the three uh, key criteria, pH and P and K index, uh, only 19% or a little over 19% of the, the soils tested in 2018, which there were over 200,000 uh, soil tests, are meeting the agronomic optimum. So if we turn that on its head, that statement on its head, uh, over 80% of the soils are deficient in one or more of the key nutrients. And that has an effect in terms of total nutrient efficiency and the recovery of those nutrients that we're using, the return on the investment, and also the potential for loss. If we start off then by, by going through some of the basics for a, for a few minutes, lime. Lime and soil pH, these are the foundation of soil fertility. These are the first step towards improving soil fertility and hence nutrient recovery on a farm. If we think about the grass yield response, which many farmers will be aware of, as the soil pH increases, most of our soils are acid in the country, and especially in the, in the east and south. As you move towards the west, there is more high pH limestone soils limestone-derived soils. However, for the majority of our soils, they do need lime to increase pH. This is a study that I'm showing from six farms. Each of the symbols or, or, or dots on the, on the graph represents a paddock where we took soil tests and we also me measured grass yield. And you can see here quite clearly that the maximum yield or the maximum yield potential is achieved once we correct the soil pH. So that sweet spot there for grassland of 6.3 um, or slightly above, you can see there that, that we maximized yield there uh, on these farms and they were growing almost 13 tonnes of dry, dry matter. In terms of nutrient use efficiency with lime, you can see here what I'm showing is nitrogen use efficiency uh, levels for um, a number of sites that we, we conducted research on. And 
I'm showing you first the sites with low soil pH, uh, less than 5.5 pH. And you can see there whether there was P applied or not, we're getting relatively low levels of nitrogen use efficiency from about 55% up to nearly 60% um, with phosphor supplied. However, where we optimize the, the, the soil pH and then we apply the phosphorus, you can see there that we're increasing that nitrogen use efficiency up towards of greater than 70% where the phosphorus is applied. But just by correcting the soil pH, we move from 55% up to 65%. So again, lime and soil pH being critically important in terms of the efficiency of the other nutrients. Uh, a consequence of this as well, we also lower the greenhouse gas levels um, in the soil, the potential there for, for greenhouse gas emissions in the soil by uh, achieving that optimum pH. Finally then, if we think about soil fertility, why build? Why build soil fertility is a question that's all, often asked. If we're using relatively high levels of, of, um, of nitrogen, nitrogen fertilizer or slurry, etc., on a farm, it really is critically important to build soil fertility, to have that balance in terms of phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, uh, etc. And this is a, a figure where we took 10 grassland soils and we looked at different index uh, levels across those soils. And you can see there the relative fertilizer use efficiency for the index three uh, soil is the highest. And as we slip down to index one, being the lowest and index two being intermediate, you can see there the levels of nitrogen use efficiency fall off dramatically. And on average, up to 15% of the N is potentially unused where we're operating at an index one or two um, uh, for, for soil fertility, for phosphorus and, and uh, potash. So again, this is critically important to build soil fertility to uh, establish a higher level of nitrogen use efficiency. However, what is this effect as we move through for every element of soil fertility? And this is the efficiency of nitrogen recovery by grassland swards across 446 uh, grassland fields in Ireland on dairy farms. So this is a study that was conducted in 2015 and 2016, and we're looking at the end use efficiency. And you can see here, where the soil fertility was low, we're getting on average about 35% recovery of that uh, nitrogen by the grassland swards, and hence about 35% nitrogen use efficiency by the grass. If we move forward then, um, as we optimize the, C, the, the, the pH or the phosphorus and potassium gradually, we increase that level where we're moving up to close to 60%. Uh, so we're almost doubling the, the, the nitrogen use efficiency as we increase the soil pH. And then where we get it all right, finally, there in the green, where we get the optimum soil pH, P and K, where we get the highest level of nitrogen recovery, nitrogen use efficiency, uh, both from soil uh, reserves and from the applied fertilizers. So again, this also is evidence there that achieving optimum balance in, in, in soil fertility will maximize the return on investment in terms of uh, inputs, nutrient inputs, fertilizers, manures, et cetera, but also protect the environment and water quality uh, from potential losses. And then finally, before I hand over to Mark, 
it's really critical then that we match the nutrient inputs to the grass growth potential of the individual fields, the soil types and the soil fertility levels on the farm. This can be done in a fertilizer plan. And what I'm showing here is a well-drained soil and the grass growth curve versus a poorly drained. And the first thing that you'll notice there is the difference in spring. The well-drained soil is uh, increasing uh, grass growth much earlier than the poorly drained soil. And hence, we need to uh, come up with a different fertilizer program uh, for these two soils, especially in that spring period, which is more risky in terms of nutrient loss. And then we can break the, the, the season down into four equal parts before we, we, um, we hit the close period again on the 15th of September for fertilizers. And at this point now, I'll hand over to Mark to discuss the soil fertility um, uh, aspects and planning aspects of getting um, uh, it, it all correct on the farm. Okay, David, thank you very much for that. Excellent presentation, really underlining the, 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 the close relationship between N, P, K, and of course, Lyme as well. Um, so, uh, Mark, you're sharing your screen there now. That's great if you could go back to your first slide. And um, yeah, that's great. Fantastic. Okay, okay. Uh, we'll hand over to, to Mark then. And uh, uh, Mark, you're going to focus on the practical aspects of, of uh, nutrient efficiency or driving nutrient efficiency at a farm level. So over to you, Mark. Okay, thank you, Mark. Good morning, everybody. And yes, I'm, I'm going to focus on, I suppose, the practical aspects um, and I suppose build on what David has spoke about and I suppose, I suppose bring, it to, bring it to life or in terms of how can we adopt it at farm level. Um, I'm going to cover a number of areas in terms of uh, improving both nitrogen and phosphorus efficiency on farm. And it really starts with the soil and the foundation. And it, 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 you know, in terms of looking and using soil test results, we're taking an enormous amount of soil samples here in Ireland, somewhere around uh, 200,000 soil samples annually. And again, it gives us a measure of the fertility on the fields on our farm. And you can see we have made good progress over the last number of years. We have, a, you know, approximately 20% of our soils optimum for PK and Lyme, but there is, I suppose, a lot of improvement there from getting the basics right, as, as David has spoke about, and David has showed the efficiencies in getting those basics right in terms of combination. I think also about soil tests as well, they show us the response to nutrients. So if we correct soil pH, you know, we can see how did our soil respond on our farm? What was the improvement? Also, if we address, say, P and K, you know, how has our soils responded to the application of that P and K. And I suppose most importantly as well, we can monitor fertility changes over time. So how is our fertility improving? You know, are we seeing a quick response or is it taking more time? And more importantly, we can actually respond to the indexes. You know, have we a lot of index ones or have we a lot of index fours? And we can take the appropriate action there in terms of and managing especially you know phosphorus and potassium on those soils in terms of of driving nitrogen efficiency the the second key area that again you know is very very important and, and david has highlighted as well is soil ph and liming again we have made good progress here in ireland you know especially in the last four or five years where we have seen very good improvements in soil ph but we we have to continue to spread um 
more lime and you know spread lime on a on a on a on a continuous basis there you know based on soil test results and there's big benefits there i suppose the first one is nitrogen you know Irish soils, they contain a lot of organic matter. And by keeping the pH in that sweet spot or that optimum zone, as, as David has shown there, a, a pH of 6.3 on mineral soils, we can release up to 70 kilograms of N per hectare per year. And this is a major saving, you know, in terms of reducing our chemical fertilizer bill um, on Irish farms. And, you know, utilizing that soil nitrogen that's there, you know, fields will be greener and they will grow more grass. I suppose the other big area, folks, is, um, soil phosphorus and again you know our soils are acidic by nature and by keeping the ph right again we can imp improve the availability or unlock some of that phosphorus and again work done in johnstown castle by by tim shields and researchers um, uh, you know at the research center there clearly show that you know by improving ph we can unlock the phosphorus that's in the soil and we also increase the efficiency of applied p as well and I suppose the other big benefit in terms of soil pH as well is that by just by correct, correcting soil pH alone, we can grow more grass. We can produce an extra ton of dry matter, as you can see uh, in the graph on the right hand side of, of, of the slide there. Just to draw your attention as well, like we have a, we are being, we are being, being, being trying to be more soil specific. Like we, at the minute we have an average figure to increase soil P by a part per million, it takes about 50 kilograms of, of P per hectare. So if we're to move an index by applying a bag P fertilizer, it'll take <clears throat> approximately 150 kilos to move an index. <clears throat> and that costs a lot of money. We're talking somewhere in the region about 300 euros per hectare. But I suppose my message here, or one of the messages that I want to get across to you, that lime, you know, it's a soil conditioner, it controls acidity, and it will do a similar effect. It'll unlock and it'll make that phosphorus more available at a lot lower cost. The third point is the whole area of fertilizer planning. Again, you know, getting to know what are my farm nutrient requirements. And this really starts with preparing a fertilizer plan and checking that plan on a regular basis. It'll give you such information as the correct Lyme advice based on soil test results, and it'll also give you a plan in terms of correcting soil pH over a time frame. We're talking maybe two to four years. It will also identify the rates of NPK and sulfur in terms of how much do we need and then when do we apply it. And very, very importantly, it'll give us a nice summary in terms of soil fertility review. You know, what percentage of my soils are in the optimum range? Like we talk about the 80-20 the rule, but on my farm, how am I progressing or how am I improving fertility over time? There's also some um, aspects in terms of mapping, soil fertility mapping, lime maps, fertilizer maps. And what it does for us as well is that it meets cross-compliance requirements. It pulls everything together from a regulatory point of view as well, as well as giving you know, on-farm uh, field-specific advice um, by, by soil type. I suppose <clears throat> the other big area um, that is probably a big change at farm level, and again, visibly as well, is that how we spread slurry in this country. You know, there's big benefits there to moving to the low emission techniques in terms of uh, band spreader or trailing shoe. There's many benefits there in terms of reducing ammonia emissions, retaining more nitrogen in terms of growing grass, and again, reducing our, our annual farm nitrogen requirement. Again, we can spread into heavier covers. You know, we can pick, you know, better soil conditions 
you know, in terms of using that slurry efficiently. And also farmers tell me as well that, you know, after first cut silage, there's a better recovery in the sward. And that's down to basically better nutrient retention and especially retention of that nitrogen. Like if we take a, a cubic meter of cattle slurry by low emission, we're looking at retaining a kilo of N per cubic meter. Another very, very important aspect as well is timing of application. And again, we're looking at moving more slurry application into the springtime of the year where we have better conditions in terms of recovering and retaining more of that nitrogen for growing grass during the growing season. <clears throat> I suppose another important aspect as well is, I suppose, in terms of what's the P and K requirement, you know, for grazing ground and also for silage ground. So if we look at grazing ground, if we take dry stock and dairy farm systems, the P and K requirement is actually quite low, especially on dry stock farms. And again, it's slightly higher on, on a dairy farm. But I suppose the big area to focus on is where we produce our grass silage, our winter fodder annually. There's a bigger requirement there, especially in terms of potash. There's a large K requirement in those fields. And again, that's very, very important in terms of nitrogen efficiency and utilizing that nitrogen as efficiently as possible that we supply the correct balance of nutrients um, for, for that crop. Okay, to, to bring it down then to, to maybe in terms of a fertilizer program, if I just focus on phosphorus here, again, in terms of using that phosphorus efficiently during the growing season and back to the grass growth curve, we aim to <clears throat> apply 50% of our phosphorus in the early part of the growing season. You're talking your second or third round of um, fertilizer. And again, <clears throat> the research would show that we then we, we split the remaining 50% in two or three applications, you know, that would coincide with the fourth or fifth nitrogen ap application um, during the, the growing season. In terms of fertilizer types, Okay, so again, if we're, we're to put a fertilizer program together and if we're picking products, so again, for example, a nitrogen source, again, protected urea, that could be our, our source of nitrogen in terms of meeting our nitrogen requirement annually. In terms of P and K sources on the grazing ground, <clears throat> again, options, there's many options, but maybe just to, to identify some of the options here, we're looking at an 18612 plus sulfur, or maybe where we're in a build-up situation, something like a 23100 plus sulfur. Our silage ground then, <clears throat> again, cattle slurry should be the priority. Again, that's where our, our cattle slurry needs to go in terms of maintaining that nutrient balance on farm. And fertilizer options then in terms of balance are something like a 24.25.10 plus sulfur or 27.25 plus sulfur. In terms of, I suppose, using nitrogen as efficiently as possible, again, back to the grass growth curve that David has presented earlier, <clears throat> you can see I've just put in in terms of response. So in the early part of the season, you know, we're looking at a, at a poor response in that January, February period. As we move in then to the, to the peak in terms of grass production, sort of March, you know, April, May, June, that's when we get our best response. So again, that's where we're, we're terms in, in getting the best return from applied nitrogen. And then as we move into the, 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 the latter part this even the season, the response tends not to be as good and a poor response then as we move into the August, September, September time of, of the year. Okay, to try to pull it all together then in terms of building a fertilizer program, I suppose the, the key things to be conscious of, um, you know, in terms of aspects of building that fertilizer program, the first one is the soil type. And I said, David has outlined it pretty well in terms of, you know, the movement of nutrients and, you know, how or when we should apply those nutrients to use them most efficiently on those soils. The other big thing then is the stocking rate or what's the demand 
for grass on that farm? Or what are we trying to, to grow or supply during the growing season? Another aspect to consider is your, your, your indexes in terms of P's and K's. And here I've, I've chosen an index two for P and K. And that gives us then our nutrient requirements. So you can see here, I suppose the fuel in the tank in terms of growing sufficient grass during the growing season for that stocking rate, we're looking at 250 kilograms of N, 37 kilograms of P, 65 kilograms of K and 20 kilograms of sulfur. In terms of splitting that then, so again, in terms of nitrogen, we split it then based on demand. So again, we kick off with, you know, 25 kilograms in the February window in terms of, you know, soil type and also weather conditions. And then we get into the main, I suppose, the peak of the grass growing season in the March, April, May. And again, you can see there's a bigger demand there so we can get better utilization, more efficiency as we move into the peak um, part of the grass growing season. And then as we run uh, into June, July, September, again, there's a, there's a fall off there in terms of nitrogen requirement, and that's re reflected in the application rate. In terms of building the fertilizer program, again, the, the two products of choice for this example here, I've picked protected urea in terms of my nitrogen source, so that's straight protected urea. And then in terms of balance, in terms of supplying my P's and K's and sulfur, I'm gone for an 18612. And that's coming in, you know, my 18612 there is coming in in the, in the, in the March the April period, depending on soil type, and then I'm feeding more 18612 in later in the season in terms of maintaining sufficient pea in the herbage. And my main nitrogen source, as you can see, is protected urea um, throughout the, the growing season. In terms of phosphorus then, as I was saying there, we're bringing phosphorus in early in the season in terms of maintaining grass yield and quality. And then in terms of herbage pea that we're drip feeding in, you know, you can go either in a single application for the, you know, the remaining season, or you can even, you know, you go, you know, even two applications of phosphorus, depending on your requirement. As I say, this is an index two. And again, you know, this soil will supply phosphorus. So again, we're topping up the, the grass pea requirement um, during the growing season. So this is what NMP Online can do for you. Again, it can give you specific advice by soil type, taking stocking rate into account, soil test results, and then it can split it. It can give us a sustainable fertilizer program, you know, that we can consult on a regular basis in terms of using that, those nutrients as efficiently as possible. And I think balance is very, very important as well. And that's what David has demonstrated to us as well, is that to get the balance right is critical in terms of you know, using nutrients efficiently, efficiency and matching that demand in terms of the grass crop during the growing season. So to finish up, I suppose in summary then, I suppose the key points are soil test results. We have a lot of information in terms of the soils, our pH, our lime, you know, P's and K's, and that's critical in terms of making decisions and also planning nutrient applications during the growing season. Again, to echo what David has said, I think lime is, is the first step in terms of investing in our soils. We're priming, we're conditioning our soils to use nutrients more efficiently. We're, you know, we're helping the biology, we're helping the structure, we're helping those soils function, function maintain the ryegrasses and use nutrients efficiently during the growing season. I can't overemphasize the importance of preparing a fertilizer plan strongly enough, and we must consult that plan on a regular basis. Because when it goes down to farm level, it, you know, there's so many, many factors in there in terms of weather, soil type, you know, products, 
you know, slurry, where it fits in. So we must consult with that fertilizer plan on a regular basis to use that nutrient as efficiently as possible. In terms of cattle slurry, I think there's a big win-win there in terms of the new technology, in terms of the low emission spreading, you know, in terms of nitrogen recovery. We are retaining more nitrogen on farm to grow grass. You know, there's a big saving in there in terms of our nitrogen requirements. And also then, you know, it's, it's a step forward in, in using slurry efficiently on farm, you know, in terms of both visual impact and also the precision. And we can go out at more specific times during the growing season into heavier grass covers and put that slurry, it's, it's, we can place that nutrient where it's going to be utilized as efficiently as possible in terms of NPK that it's supplying to grow grass. Also very important to identify crop nutrient requirements, you know, is it grazing or silage, you know, what's the indexes, what's our requirement, and again, to get the balance right. And I think the final step then is to pick a suitable fertilizer or a blend that matches the soils on, 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 on our farms. And again, I'm looking at something like, a, you know, you know, something like an 18612 plus sulfur. With a, with a straight nitrogen or a 14.714 or maybe a, a 23.10.0. You know, there, there's a range of products there and we're very, very fortunate in this country that we have a big range of products. And, you know, our fertilizer suppliers are willing to, to, to blend and supply, you know, different fertilizer types based on soil requirements, based on regional requirements to meet our demands. And, you know, we have seen that on the tillage side of the house that, you know, you know, based on, on yield and, and uh, soil requirements that, you know, there is a, a big range of fertilizers out there. And I suppose that's maybe a challenge on the grassland side of the house to maybe look at other blends of fertilizers to meet our annual nutrient requirements. Just to bring your attention as well uh, to the Soil and Soil Fertility website, I've, I've covered a lot and David has covered a lot, but for further information there in terms of fertilizer programs, you know, crop nutrient requirements, um, you know, this is a, a good uh, source of information uh, that we maintain on a regular basis. So I, I leave it at that, Mark. Okay, Mark, thanks very much for that. Uh, just the, what is the web address or what's the best way for somebody to get access to that information? Uh, Google Chagas Soil Fertility? If you just Google, yeah, Soil and Soil Fertility, Chagas Soil and Soil Fertility, it'll, it'll, you'll, 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 you'll get to the, to the website through that, yeah. Great, great, okay. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for that, Mark. Um, so if I can ask uh, David and, um, uh, Pat to join us now for our Q&A session. Um, if you have your quest any questions, please do submit them to us. Um, we have quite a number of questions come in so far, but if you have any further questions you'd like to, to put to uh, David or to Mark, uh, please do submit them as soon as you can. Uh, so we're going to run up until about half past 10 uh, with, with the, our Q&A session. Um, uh, just to kick things off, uh, Mark and, and David, uh, we have quite a number of questions coming in in relation to organic farming. And I appreciate that today we're, I suppose we are focused on conventional systems. Uh, but is there <coughs> advice that we can offer uh, to, to uh, organic farmers at, at this stage? Um, and, and I think that's something we're, we're probably going to focus on in a separate discussion anyhow. Um, David, you're just on use there, just in case you you're, you aren't aware. Um, so, yes, and, and I know both of you have have worked with that sector as well, or provided advice to that sector. Yeah, I suppose, Mark. If if if, if I start, uh, the same principles apply. Obviously, for an organic sector, you're not going to be using the the chemical fertilizers in the system, but manures 
um, soil types, uh, crop uh, growth habits in terms of seasonal crop growth, all those principles still apply to where we try to match the nutrient inputs or the nutrient uh, returns or in an organic system, uh, planting a crop at a time when the nutrients will become available to utilize those. So uh, I think many of the same principles can be applied to the organic sector. Uh, the big difference is that we're not using the chemical fertilizers to bolster the system, but by knowledge of your soils and the nutrient supply potential of those soils, inputting the, 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 the manures or even the green manures at the times when you can utilize them, when the crop is going to grow, um, will still maximize the returns from those systems. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with what Dave said. Um, I, think, I think, you know, soil pH is absolutely very, very important in terms of nutrient efficiency, nutrient availability, um, you know, in terms of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and also the utilization, the efficient utilization of, you know, manures, whether it's farmyard manure, slurries, and, and the technology. Like the technology, especially the low emission slurry spreading, you know, the technology has moved on so much, um, you, know, it's, you know, in terms of the equipment. And there, you know, there's big benefits there. I'd imagine on a, in an organic system, you know, the benefits would be, you know, probably as important, if not more important, than your conventional system. Mm -hmm. Okay, Pat, uh, quite a yeah. few questions coming through there. Yes, I suppose a lot of, of questions there in relation to to lime. Uh, first of all, in in relation to the timing of lime, uh, and I draw a few things at you because they're they're all a kind of related. There's um, uh, questions in relation to the impact of uh, lime on soil and organic matter. And then there's another question specifically in relation to uh, liming in, in heavy soils in terms of timing and in terms of, of benefit. Okay, if I, if I just start off on that, in terms of, of, of lime and organic matter, so what Mark has showed the, is, is from the research that we're increasing the nitrogen supply potential um, which is mineralization of some organic matter. However, lime also increases the grass growth potential. And while the above ground biomass is what we look at, so the crop yield or the grass yield or whatever, which we harvest or, or graze or whatever, correspondingly, the below ground biomass, the root system corresponds and it will grow as well, pumping more um, uh, carbon, CO2 from the atmosphere down into the soil layers where it can replenish that soil organic matter and also feed the soil biology. So the soil biology needs labile carbon um, to, to consume as its food and to be more of a healthy ecosystem. So optimizing the pH gives us the benefits on the agronomic side in terms of nutrient supply or the availability of those nutrients that we put in, but it also has a holistic benefit in terms of the environment soil quality and soil health and overall the ecosystem works better for a managed agricultural soil that is obviously if you're in a species rich grassland or something like that where there's natural grasses that grow at whatever pH there is or in an upland area we're not applying lime on those so this is for the agriculture the managed agricultural land the second uh, question to do with with uh, heavy soils and timing, um, farmers do need to be very opportunistic in terms of getting out lime because 
you know, weather turns against us, soil trafficability issues come up. It's a little bit like uh, using heavy slurry equipment. You know, you don't want to do damage to the soil. So in a system, uh, a conventional agricultural system, you need to be almost had have the, 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 the lime contractor on speed dial. Um, a load of lime will do approximately uh, 10 acres at two tons to the acre. So uh, it's very easy to have that um, area grazed out or post silage and apply your lime. Heavy soils present more of a challenge because the windows are, are tighter in terms of trafficability with the heavy equipment. However, it can be done and we've shown in the heavy soils program that it was done very successfully with huge agronomic and environmental benefits for water quality. So Mark, while you're speaking about uh, lime there, we have a question in relation to lime on heavy soils and is there an optimum time to, to get the best value from lime in, in that situation and to, to reduce the, the risk of runoff or leaching or anything like that? I suppose, Mark, you're, you're trying to bring it in, I suppose, look, when I suppose the, the opportunity presents, whether it's after silage or after grazing out, I suppose when conditions are good, um, yeah, you probably are. Like, you can spread lime any day of the year, um, you know, you know, once the conditions are right. You know, yeah, so look, on the heavier soils, you're probably looking over the coming weeks, the coming months, to, you know, where the opportunity presents itself. And like, once that lime is washed in, there's no issue with it. And you're probably looking at, you know, two, two and a half tons to the acre, you know, it will work. Like once, once it gets moisture, there's a, you know, there's a, a fine component in that line. 35% is less than 150 micron. And that's the really reactive part of the line. And once it gets rain, it starts to work. But yes, on the heavier soils, you are looking, you know, I suppose you want to take every opportunity. And as David was saying, have your, your line contractor on, on speed dial. And it, whether it's a load or two, you know, whether it's a receding time after first good silage, after grazing out, mm. and preferably when conditions are good. Okay, uh, Pat, do you have a, a further questions there? It's plenty coming through there. Pat's on mute, I think. No, can't hear you, Pat. Uh, a question in relation to um, lime in sensitive environments, and uh, in particular, say, in relation to uh, pearl mussel areas. Um, is there advice there in terms of being careful, etc.? Um, yeah, look, at, there's, there's obviously sensitivities there uh, in these sensitive habitats and, and, and areas close to pearl mussel waters, etc. Um, some of those areas won't receive any lime because they have other habitat. However, in the agricultural areas, what we don't want to do is um, to, to um, not to consider the nutrient efficiency side of uh, applying some fertilizers or manures in these areas and having the soil pH almost holding back the efficiency. So what I would say in, in those areas, um, the agro agronomic land that is receiving nutrients, uh, either slurries or uh, bagged fertilizer, um, a, a, a more cautious approach to lime needs to be implied, where you build up lime over a number of years using smaller amounts. So while the soil test might tell you that over the next five years, you, you need five tons to move from a very low pH level up to the optimum, you do that gradually. Um, you don't uh, heat up the ground in terms of mineralization of nutrients um, by putting it out in one go. That would be the advice. And 
by doing that little and often approach, we can edge up the soil fertility and the pH levels to a level where it's sustainable for both water quality and maintaining the habitat for that pearl mussel. It also, uh, in those pearl mussel areas, sediment is a big issue. And by having a better grass cover, which is more um, dense under the animal's hoof prints, it's not likely to, uh, to, to be uh, eroded away, the grass cover, where you end up with more sediment. So it actually has benefits there in the long term. But I, I do take the, the point, we do need to be cautious in terms of how soil fertility is approached in those areas. Uh, there's a number of questions about uh, uh, what you might describe as alternative products, um, in particular uh, Grandline, uh, what role uh, potentially do, does, it, does it have or how does it compare in terms of effectiveness and cost? Okay, in, in, in terms of Grand Lime, um, I suppose it's it's very much a maintenance product. Like um, if we think of build-up, I suppose maybe if we think of soil pH build-up, we're looking at a ratio of one is to one. So if we have a lime requirement, say of a ton to the acre of ground limestone, that means we need a ton of granulated product. So from an economics point of view, if you're in a build-up situation, if you're less than a pH of six, the product of choice is ground limestone. If you're above a pH of say six or, you know, if you're in a, in a maintenance situation, the ratio is, is uh, one is to three. So if you need a ton of ground limestone, you need, you know, a third of a ton or 330 kilos of, of granulated product. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So look, look for me, um, you know, I, I think ground limestone is sort of, a, it's a one-stop shop. You know, we, we test our soils every four or five years and you put out, your requirement let it be anywhere from two to three tons to the acre and it brings the ph up to the optimum up to you know six three six five and you know over over a sort of an 18 month period i suppose look the granulated lime is an option you know if you just want a, a maintenance situation and i suppose there, there, there is the con convenience factor in that you can spread it with your own fertilizer spreader but i suppose we have to be i suppose cognizant that there is a, an extra cost there in terms of the, the granulated product I don't okay. know, David, if you want to bring anything to that or... No, look at that. I think that explains it. Um, the, there's often the misnomer that, that ground limestone is not as reactive. Mm -hmm. um, however, the first third, as, as by law, under the specification, the first 350 kilograms of the tonne is actually very fine and very reactive. So if you think about that, that's about um, seven bags of ground limestone equivalent Ton. Okay, and, and on questions about some other, uh, I suppose, alternative sources of, of organic manures like uh, poultry manure or poultry pellets and where, where they can fit in. Yeah, so um, again, following the same principles in terms of man curve for these nutrients, um, because they're an organic source, they're better off utilized in spring. And when we say spring, we're not talking about January and maybe even February, we're talking about putting these on um, just prior or at the time of rapid growth. So that's usually on, on most mineral soils will happen, on, on light mineral soils will happen, begin to start in late February into March, and maybe on heavier mineral soils or even peat soils, the demand really won't come till April. And again, by putting them on early, they have time to break down. Remember, they're an organic nutrient source 
uh, the soil biology needs to mineralize them, so it takes a little bit of time for them to work into the soil before they come available. If you're putting them on in the back end of the year, so uh, this time of the year onwards, they may not fully break down fully by the time the grass growth curve begins to drop off, and hence you're putting more risk there in terms of water quality or nutrient loss if the soil doesn't have capacity to hold on to those nutrients. So again, same principles apply. Try to front load those so that you have the whole grass growth season to maximize the uptake of those nutrients. I suppose just, just to add, Pat, to that, that um, uh, pig slurry is a, is a very good, uh, well-balanced source of NP, NP and K, especially for grazing ground. And, you know, probably is more suitable than some of the poultry manures. Uh, so as a pig slurry, it's probably that bit better than cattle slurry in terms of nutrient balance and nutrient profile from a grazing point of view. And as David says, you know, use them early in the season. And again, low emission would big, bring big benefits from a nitrogen recovery point of view, as we have about three times more nitrogen in a, a, in a, in a thousand gallons of, of um, pig slurry compared to a thousand gallons of cattle slurry. In today's uh, presentations, we've largely focused on the, the macronutrients. Uh, we do have some questions asking about the, 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 the micro trace elements uh, side of things. I mean, could we, I know, look, time isn't really on our side to, to delve into that today, and hopefully we'll cover that in a future session. But uh, is there advice around when a farmer should be considering taking those type, doing those types of soil testing, uh, looking at uh, the trace elements? Uh, is there an argument there for, for grassland farmers? I know many tillage farmers do opt for that, uh, that type of testing. Is there an argument there for, for grassland farmers to be for doing that? Or maybe you're seeing that all happening already. Yeah, if I, I don't mind starting, Mark, and if you can come in from the, the farmer's perspective. Um, certainly, Mark, we're talking about achieving a full nutrient balance here. So whichever nutrient is limiting is going to hold back the system in terms of maximizing the uptake of the other nutrients, be it that it's a micronutrient or a macronutrient. We've concentrated on the macronutrients, NNP, because those are the ones that are, are in the nitrates and water framework directives in terms of um, uh, causing uh, negative impacts when they're lost to water quality. However, potash, sulfur as the other key macronutrients, even magnesium, on that and then the trace elements. In terms of, of grassland farms, there's probably not as, as many tests done on grassland farms for those micronutrients. However, if you take away from today that there's different soil types and we need to consider those different soil types differently, maybe the next time there is a soil test being conducted on the farm, that at least one test from each soil type could be conducted to give some kind of steer in terms of where there might be a problem. Many grassland farmers will, will have tested if they have a problem in terms of animal nutrition. They might go back the whole way as far as the soil to diagnose if the problem is, is seated there. However, this is something that is on the radar. We have research ongoing on this, in this area, but the adoption in terms of grassland farms probably needs to be, um, there needs to be a look-see at this stage and a kind of a, a reconnaissance of whether those issues uh, might be manifesting themselves in terms of holding back uh, either production or uh, environmental quality. Mm -hmm. Mark, do you see many many uh, grassland farmers opting for that now, or is there any? Uh, do you notice any d difference in that? 
Um, not really, Mark. We mainly tend to concentrate on our, our lime, our, our pea, and our, K, and our K. But no, I, I, I totally agree with David. I, I think it's good practice that to maybe get the magnesium done. It's only a small extra cost. And the same with the trace elements. Again, I totally agree with David where soil types change on the farm. You know, it, it's a good place to start to maybe dip in and see what's going on, you know, to see what's going on in the soil, whether it's, you know, copper, manganese, zinc, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, you know, et cetera, see what's going on in conjunction with, with herbage analysis. Just a, a quick add on to that. Um, there's a question coming in here around the, the actual carbon uh, element of, of soil testing. Is that something that uh, we, we're seeing or is, is that something that's on offer? Um, it is on it is on offer. We don't typically do it. It's not mandated anymore. It was for tillage farms in the in the past to get a soil organic matter test done. Um, soil organic matter and carbon, you know, they, they will tell you uh, pretty similar things. Uh, however, in terms of carbon, uh, there's a lot more to it. So carbon is a nutrient in its own right, and in, in terms of soil biology, mm-hmm. um, and the difference between total carbon and label carbon is a very different thing too. So most of our soils, because of our, our, our soil type and our climatic conditions, uh, we have much higher carbon than they do maybe on the continent or we'll say in hotter or Mediterranean regions. Uh, that's just due to the breakdown of organic matter. We have uh, wet conditions, etc. We have higher yields and higher grass growth, which pumps more CO2 down through the soil. But getting back to the question in terms of testing, it's worth doing a test where you um, uh, have maybe tilled the soil for a long time and you want to look at where it is versus your grassland soil and maybe uh, look at the rotation or the different, again, the different soil types on the farm to see are they different. The other big area in terms of water quality and nutrient efficiency is the peat soils mm-hmm. versus mineral soils and really diagnosing where they are because the peat soils need a very different management even throughout the summer compared with the mineral soils and understanding those areas and which fields are which on the farm is really well worth doing and well worth the soil test for that matter. Okay. Uh, there's a, a number of questions about uh, is there any or issues in relation to spreading lime in terms of either grazing or application of organic manures or application of, of, of chemical fertilizers. Uh, any do's and don'ts in relation to timing. Okay, Mark, do you want to take that one? Yeah, um, in relation to, to lime and the organic manures, um, again, ideally, we would like to go with, the, say, cattle slurry first and, and wait, you know, seven to ten days, and that's purely from an ammonia point of view. In terms of fertilizer, again, um, again, you know, we'd like to leave at least, again, a week between you know, lime and and fertilizers. Um, in terms of grazing, I suppose ideally, like, you know, I say pick your window, pick your opportunity. You know, ideally we'd like to have the lime wa- washed off the herbage. You know what I mean? So if you have, have paddocks grazed out, maybe have your, your, your lime agent teed up and go in then and apply your lime to a bare sward ideally. But again, you know, if there is some lime that does stick to the grass there's no issue like animals may scour a little bit but i don't think there's any big issues david um with respect to um with with, with to that um i think that there's, there's there's evidence that i suppose sheep because they graze closer to the to the ground the and lighter, yeah. spend a longer time can ingest more they have a smaller 
uh, stomach system or rumen system and it can raise the pH momentarily and, and cause a little bit of, uh, of digestive problems. But by and large, where there's big intake coming with a dairy cow or a beef animal, it doesn't cause a major issue, especially if there's a little bit of ringing afterwards. Yeah. Like, I, I, I just add to that, Pat, I, I think, you know, if we can spread lime sort of in, in you know, l- later in the season, say August, September, October, you know, it can be a good job to get out of the way and then it, it eliminates any problems come the spring you know, in terms of fertilizers or slurries, you know, I suppose potash is a bit the same. If we can get our potash out in the back end of the year, again, it, it eliminates problems, you know, worries about grass deadening come the spring. So as I say, between now and September, October is a good time to address lime on farm, you know, and it simplifies the, the fertilizer program then come the spring. Well, I suppose that the, the, particularly on, on heavier land, the issue there is we do get a fall off in, in lime sales in wet autumns, obviously yeah. enough so if you're in those uh, conditions you're, be- you're better off to, to plan it for, for summer i presume than, than waiting correct now is the perfect time yeah. pat especially if paddocks are being taken out for for um for 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 bales in a more normal year um or after silage uh, you know even august september can be dry enough on those farms before the the soil really wets up that's the ideal time there as the grazing season and grazing rotation opens up. We had a um, you, you point both there shared. in terms of fertilizer, Mark. Before before we finished, sure. uh, the question of urea and lime always comes up. And while yeah. Lime before urea is not a good practice because of uh, increased nitrogen losses through ammonia. The evidence from the initial studies show that protected urea seems to uh, protect that. So we wouldn't be as concerned at this point. There will be more research going on on that to really confirm that, but the initial studies show that uh, protected urea um, and liming beforehand is not as big an issue or not as big a concern as we would have with uh, ordinary urea. And that's, that's the way we're moving, hopefully, towards protected urea as being the, the, the main straight nitrogen. Well, Mark, if we've one time for one final question, just in in relation to a significant number of index fours remaining in the system, is it evidence that we're just not getting um, the, the spread of our nutrients across the farm right? Um, yes, there's there's many evidence to that uh, factor uh, to, to to that question, not just index four soils, but with all nutrients, trying to achieve a better spatial distribution of those nutrients, more targeting in fields. And that goes back to, I suppose, Mark's point about a fertilizer plan being critical and following that plan, because that does that for you. And also, Pat, the NNP online system, which is really honing in on that spatial distribution, field by field advice. The index four, um, um, index fours have been coming down uh, over the past while. Uh, there's a small drop off and that's due to the soil chemistry. So especially clay rich soils hold on to that nutrient and it takes a lot to draw it down. As Mark said, it takes 50 kilograms to build it up by one part per million or one milligram per kilogram. Equally that drawdown from that big bank takes a long time. So they're, they're going to be hard to budge, but there is evidence that they are coming down, but certainly there's more work to be done to target slurries, to target nutrients to specific fields and specific soil types. So I take that point and 
um, certainly fertilizer planning is key there and, and soil testing. Just to make one point there, Pat, as well, when, when, when I have the, the, the audience there, is that have confidence in the soil test. You know, if the samples are taken well, take, you know, if you take the top four inches, take our 20 cores, have confidence in the soil test. Like if you have an index four, that's a very fertile soil. And you can see if they are both in organic and chemical fertilizers. Do you know what I mean? So that's a very rich soil. And that soil has a, a, a big production potential in terms of growing grass. So don't, don't be feared. Like what you can do is go back in a year or two and check it and dip in and see what's going on. See how has your soil responded to not applying phosphorus. So have confidence right. in the test. We're going to have to wrap it up at that. We're, we're a little over time. I hope uh, our, our listeners will forgive us for that. Um, look, I just want to thank you both uh, really for an excellent presentation and very uh, you know, practical responses there uh, to, to the questions that came through. Unfortunately, we didn't get to all of the, to answer all of the questions that came through, but uh, Look, it will, uh, your questions inform the types of webinars that we're planning uh, in the future. Uh, so just to let you know that uh, we're going to be uh, looking, moving back to, to looking at the, the greenhouse gas emissions side of the environment story next week. So I'll be talking to Tom Houlihan, forestry uh, advisor and specialist with Chagisk. We'll be talking about the role of forestry uh, in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, I just want to thank our uh, support team, uh, Andy Boland, uh, Yvonne Maher, uh, all our partners, and of course, Pat Murphy as well for helping us out today with the questions. So do join us next week, uh, next Friday. Uh, also to bring to your attention, there is a Chagas uh, is broadcasting webinar at 3 p.m. on uh, Monday next. Uh, in it, it, it contains uh, information about the latest uh, outputs from the National Farm Survey. So that is available to, you can download and access that on the Chagas website. And also today's presentations and uh, recording of the video will be available on the Chagas website in the coming days. So with that, uh, thank you again for your attention and I look forward to uh, talking to you next week. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagas Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.